Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. It is the morning of Thursday, June 3rd. Mike Rutherford here in Louisville, Dan Snard in Columbus, Ohio. And Dan, only one way to start this podcast, and that's by saying I've never been more embarrassed for this podcast. Um, we have a story with the Dino Gaudio FBI thing, which is now like 15 months old in internet years, and we don't it, – It's we've never had a story this much up our alley, like perfect for the podcast – we can talk about it for a solid hour. We can make good jokes. It can be funny. It can be entertaining. We record a podcast quite literally an hour before that story breaks. I do the thing where I have to say that I've heard that some bad news is coming, but I don't know exactly what it is, which every time I've said it on this podcast, I, I think you can go back, check the tapes. I think it's happened four times. Every single time something bad has happened almost immediately after the podcast airs, we find out the Dino Gaudio story breaks. It becomes a big national deal. You and I, we don't we, we ignore the billion requests for the emergency pod, which always happens. I love it. I, I always love the emergency pod request. We can't find time immediately after to do a podcast together. You and I keep having scheduling conflicts. You're doing dad stuff. Your, your kids are graduating school, whatever. Um, I, I can't find time. I go to the Indy 500 on Sunday, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But it, it's now, like I said, like it's old news at this point. We can't really dive into the discussion. It's an embarrassing moment for the Card Chronicle podcast, Dan. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And like you said, I think I'm more worried about the fact that every time we record a pod, it seems like just, you know, shitty news of the athletic department or some sort of football, basketball news is soon to follow. So, I mean, when I tell people that I'm a cooler in real life, I mean, there is no – you know, better example than what's happened with our athletic program since we started this podcast. I mean, there, it, there's been a lot more bad news than good news. Um, you know, I, I, I if people want to hold this against us, you know, my hands in the air, I'll, I'll totally <laughs> take the blame on this one. Um, I, 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 we wanted to do something we enjoy, which is talk about Louisville athletics and communicate, you know, to, to our listeners how we feel about it. But uh, it, it's really coming back to bite us in the ass, no doubt. But, um, yeah, just another black eye, you know, for this, uh, past, you know, it, it's, it, I know it's been like five years, um, but it, it just seems like a, a never ending cycle. The athletic calendar has, has now turned after a very disappointing 2020 sports season. Um, so there, there really is nowhere to go but up right now. Um, even though it, 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 looking at it, um, it, there's not, I don't want to say there's not a lot of optimism, but, um, you're looking for some sort of silver lining of, of how our teams can be successful here going in the future. Um, and I don't want to say you have to look too hard, but we need it. We need some, some good mojo right now. Keeping, sticking with the theme of, the timing that you and I have being just awful, me in particular, when it comes to, to really anything professional since I got my start, the moment that I hear that the Dino Gaudio, like what the actual story is, all I can think about is, and again, we're, we're going back in time here. This is ancient news at this point, but all I can think of is, God damn it, I flamed UK with that tweet the day before. Like, I, yeah. I, I have... <laughs> I don't, I'm sure some people listening remember the old school, like, 
10 years ago, Mike Rutherford. It was the Wild West in the, in the sports internet. I mean, you're going after, like, I'm, I'm going after Matt Jones. He's coming back. Like, we're, we're all the UK and UVL people are just constantly throwing flames at one another. That's how it was back in the, like, the early sports internet. And now people get a little bit older. Things have settled down. I definitely pick and choose my spots when it comes to rivalrying. And even when I do it, it's, it's not nearly as serious as it used to be. Of course, I picked that moment when UK sent the, like the off-season J. Cole, whatever, champions tweet out. And I'm like, oh, it's definitely when they're at their best, the off-season. Just a, a shitty joke, uh, low-hanging fruit, whatever. I took that time to make my, uh, to, to, to make my stab for the, like the off-season. The morning that I get the text and when I start to find out the Dino Gaudio stuff, all I can think of is, like, God damn it. Like, like here, like, I, I know what's coming. I saw the words this aged well probably 55,000 times over the next 24 hours, which I don't really get. Like, like, Kentucky fans were like, look at this guy. Like, like, I bet he looks stupid right now. What was going on with Louisville had nothing to do with me making fun of you guys for claiming offseason championships every fucking year. Like, it's not like I tweeted, this is when UK basketball is at its best. And also, Louisville never embarrasses itself during the offseason. Everybody knows what's going on with Louisville. We're not in denial. We're very aware of the situation surrounding our men's basketball program. But uh, whatever, it was just more of an annoyance than anything. Real quick, do you have like a like a 30-second summation of your response to the, the Dino Gaudio, Chris Mack stuff since we didn't get a chance to talk about it all? Do you have any glaring hot takes or, or are you just kind of over it at this point? I'm sure there on local radio just about every take you could possibly have has, has been spoken of. Um, I mean, Dino just, I think just got a little carried away. I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, he probably felt that the season shouldn't land on, on his shoulders. And unfortunately he was the one that, that, that kind of got taken out or bared the brunt of it along with Luke Murray. And obviously he did not handle it, um, very well at all. Um, I, the, the Chris Mack Dino friendship thing is the big, uh, kind of question mark or dynamic for me and uh, interesting to me. I'm not sure we'll ever get a, a clear answer on how that relationship is going to be, you know, now or moving forward. Um, but obviously uh, I think Dino <laughs> took a misstep. It seems like he's admitted to it, but, um, that's a, that's a pretty big misstep to have there. If you listen to the podcast that we did, I guess immediately after the assistant coaching firings happened, I kind of laid out what happened here, at least the the background of, of how we got to this point. Um, Dino Gaudio and Luke Murray both clearly very upset with the way things were going down. Um, they both had gotten wind that this was going to happen before they had their actual meetings with Chris Mack. Gaudio stormed out before the, the plan that Mack had could really be unveiled, which I am told involved him being uh, – potentially made director of basketball operations to replace Kale Fennell, who was being promoted to assistant coach. We that, That's kind of the background of all this. I think the big question is, at least from a UofL standpoint, is how the athletic program allowed this to get this far, or how anybody right. allowed this to get this far, because it's pretty clear at the moment, like Louisville doesn't want this bad press. They don't need this bad press. Dino Gaudio at least as we understand it through the statements of his attorney, doesn't want to be here. He feels bad about all this stuff. And again, from what I've heard, Louisville, I think, felt that, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a cr credible enough threat from Gaudio 
going public with this. I, I think when when Gaudio was sending the text and saying, this is what I'm going to do, I think Louisville felt like they only had one of two options. One, let him get this out there and see how the press reacts, which we know how the press is going to react. Pat Forty's going to write 1,500 words on why Louisville should never be allowed to, to play basketball again, which is exactly what happened. And so Louisville said, our only real option here is to be aggressive with this. We we believe, like, like we think that Gaudio is going to do this. We think he's going to go public with this, which again are minor transgressions in the grand scheme of things. But there, there is no such thing as a minor transgression right now with Louisville basketball. So we have to be proactive. Let's reach out. And again, I'm told they reached out to the FBI and they were like, we don't want to press charges with this. We just want to know what we can do. And the FBI is kind of like, uh-uh-uh. That's not how this works. Like, like right. we get to decide how, how, what's worthy of pressing charges and what's not. And clearly they went forward with this and, and now we find ourselves in this whole mess. And it's, I mean, it, it's just another story for people to point and laugh at, which is exactly what's happened. And thankfully we've been able to, to move on a little bit. I did want to talk about, uh, more recent news. Chris Mack, he had the press conference, which we reacted to on the last podcast. He is talking a little bit more publicly. He did radio interviews this week with both. Uh, Nick Coffey on 790 and Mark Ennis on 93.9. And I, I think what he's made very, very clear is that the whole we're going to play faster, we're going to be more up-tempo, the offense is going to look different. It's not just something he's saying to get the fan base off his back. He's serious about this. Uh, you know, Ross McMains is going to install this new offense, or at least is going to be the co-offensive coordinator here. And Mac is saying, given the personnel that we have, we're going to get up and down. We're going to take a, a bunch of outside shots. We're going to play fast. We're going to uh, – he hasn't said we're going to full court press. I think the defensive philosophy is going to remain the same. But this is – I, I don't want to say it's an overcorrection to last year, but it feels like a necessary offseason adjustment, and it's nice to see that this isn't just – you know, he, he's not just trying to appease the fan base for a couple of months. This is what we're going to see when the team's back on the court in the winter. Yeah, and we kind of talked about this – last podcast but it, it is nice to have a coach that's not so stubborn in his own ways um, or his own philosophies that he's not willing to adapt and there's absolutely no doubt um, the pace we played at last year with some of the pieces that we had just did not work out whatsoever so for him to go out and make such a drastic change like this um, I, I, I I mean, we can do nothing as a fan base, but look forward to it at least. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, usually teams that play like a pack line defense, I feel like don't have a very up-tempo offensive game. So the combination of the two I think is going to be, um, you know, I'm interested to see how that works out. But, yeah, I mean, the way he's talked about this guy, I, you know, it just seems like we're going to have a complete overhaul and everything that we've seen from the first you know three years of the Chris Mack tenure is going to be completely different so I'm certainly looking forward to it I'm looking forward to seeing how he makes these pieces fit um I I god just last year I mean how many offensive possessions were just so painful to watch so you know are there going to be growing pains at the beginning I 100% imagine so but um you know, I'm I'm totally on board with this, and uh, it, it just gives me one more thing to look forward to once the season begins. And it makes sense, too. When you look at the personnel that Louisville has, you've got a handful of quality outside shooters. 
You've got, I think, some solid athleticism in the backcourt. You've definitely got some really good athleticism at the 3-4 um, and potentially the 5 spots if you get Malik Williams and Roosevelt Wheeler both healthy. It makes sense to play the style, given what you've got. And one of the biggest things, I, I know that people are all across the board when it comes to their views on the Chris Mack era through three seasons, but one of the things that I will absolutely give him brownie points for is he's been – He's never been so stubborn that he hasn't been willing to adapt. Like, he inherited pieces that didn't really fit his system, so he played a different way. And then he changed the offense up almost entirely in year two. It wasn't as much high ball screen. It was a lot of continuity offense to try and get free shots for guys like like Jordan Warren, Ryan McMahon. Last year, he he slows it down, plays more of his Xavier style, and that was in large part because he felt like you couldn't take David Johnson and Carly Jones off the floor for long periods of time. And now he's he's willing to change again. And I, this is becoming kind of a growing trend in college basketball. I, I think when people look at the sport, they think about coaches having particular styles that they never go away from. Like, like Jim Bayham's always going to play 2-3 zone. Roy Williams was always going to have that secondary break and get up and down. That's changed a little bit in recent years. Maybe the biggest example being like Bob Huggins at West Virginia. Like he He did that press Virginia style because he had a bunch of – athletic, pressing, tough-nosed guards. And in the last couple of years, when his personnel has changed, he's gone totally away from that. Like, like West Virginia, I don't know how much people have, have paid attention to them the last few years. Like, they're not pressing anymore. They're playing still tough-nosed man-to-man defense, but they're not playing the way that they were four or five seasons ago. Uh, even Mike Krzyzewski in recent years, he didn't play zone for the first, whatever, 35 years, 40 years of his coaching career at Duke. And then the last couple of seasons with so many young guys that have had such a difficult time grasping his defensive philosophy, he simplified things. And it's you know, they've been better for it for the most part, especially that Zion team. Um, I, I think that you're going to – I guess John Calipari has not really changed all that much. And you've seen how his teams the last couple of years have been. Uh, Roy Williams' reluctance to change maybe led – him to a, a quicker exit than a lot of people would have anticipated. So I, I think you're seeing with college – Jay Wright, another perfect example of a guy who he did the one-and-done thing. He It didn't work all that well. He has totally changed his recruiting philosophy the last few seasons and found that kind of a mix of good transfers and three, four-year college players is, is the way to have success, and he's done it really well. Mark Few has changed his style a number of times at Gonzaga. So the fact that Chris Mack is willing to follow in these – uh, people's footsteps, um, and maybe that's the wrong terminology, but the fact that he's willing to I- embrace change and, and embrace adaptation, I think bodes well for this season. And again, like you said, it's a massive, massive season for not just the the fan base's view on Chris Mack, but really for the the direction the basketball program's going to go. I, I don't think it could be any bigger. Did you get excited when you heard Mack say that Louisville, I mean, he said this without a question. He brought it up himself. Louisville is still probably not done in the transfer market yeah no i i mean i i got excited i you know i'm not too familiar with what's out there or, or if maybe they know something behind the scenes that we don't about someone that, that is thinking about transferring i you know i i obviously i think one of the downfalls to our team last year is yes we had some nice players um but from a depth standpoint you know, towards the end of the year, we were unfortunately playing guys that I don't want to say they weren't ACC caliber, but, um, you know, it, it just seemed like from a depth perspective that we were behind other programs 
um, for guys that were starting to get significant minutes. And I, from what you can kind of tell from what Chris Mack has said in his press conference, I think he feels a lot better about the depth from this team. Um, and that's going to be key. I mean, especially if, if, uh, you know, with this new offensive philosophy, uh, you know, it probably seems like we're going to get out and transition more. We're going to be running more, uh, which means we're going to have to play more guys most likely. So, I mean, the two things I'm really looking for, and sorry, I know I'm kind of going back to the new offense, but the two things I'm really looking for from an offensive perspective that I don't think we've done too well in the past couple of years under Chris Mack is I want to see better passing. Um, and obviously the, the second one is getting guys just better shots. You know, I, I think, I, I don't know if we've had a, a you know, a very poignant, you know, dead eye three point shooter, um, besides maybe a Ryan McMahon. Um, and without having an offense to get guys just clean open looks, that's going to make it tough. So, um, that's what I'm most excited for for this offense. But I, I do think, that people are, you know, we had this debate, are they going to get another big? Are they going to get a playmaking guard? I think it's just going to come down to the fact of, you know, maybe best available out of the two. I don't know if they're looking for a particular one. It, my preference would be a playmaker. Um, you know, I'm, like we said, we're excited for Ella Ellis, uh, but that remains to be seen, um, how much he's going to, you know, handle the ball. But my preference would be a playmaker, but if it's a, if it's a big guy that you just can't pass up on and he has interest, I'd totally be fine, you know, taking one of those guys too. Quick, got to call you out on the we haven't had great dead eye shooters because two years ago Jordan Nora, yeah, two okay. of the ten best shooters in the history Sorry. of the program on the same team. But I'm with you on the like to me. Here's hot summer take. I think L. Ellis is the most important player on this team because. Yeah. If you don't have that, I think he's going to be, first of all, I think he's going to be the starting point guard. If you don't have that playmaker, it doesn't matter that Noah Locke's a 43% three-point shooter. It doesn't matter that Matt Cross can be a 40% three-point shooter. It doesn't matter that Jalen Withers can be more effective at the four. You've got to have that guy who can break dudes off the bounce and then not just create that advantage, but be able to do the right thing when that advantage is gained. And Ellis... Seems like the most dynamic player on this team, potentially, just based off of you know, what we've seen of him uh, in highlight videos and, and what we've heard about him from people who've seen him play up close and personal. If he's not, then I don't know where this team goes, and maybe that's where Chris Mack is looking in the transfer market. I'm very curious to see what he does with that scholarship if, in fact, we are going to add one more guy to this team. We should note, uh, I think it was on Tuesday, all of the newcomers besides Matt Cross have arrived on campus. They're ready to get going with, with summer workouts and those once a week practice sessions. That was exciting just to see, you know, those intro videos and the guys getting their gear. And they made L. Ellis the, the kind of the narrator for the first video that they did, which I thought was, was at least somewhat interesting, but just cool. It feels like a regular season. Like we're finally after getting the postseason taken away two years ago after the the madness and the bizarreness of all the cancellations and just the overall weirdness of last season, we're finally going to get a normal college basketball year, and it's starting right now. So that's in and of itself is pretty exciting. I th- I don't, just to jump ahead. in, I think an underrated part of that is Chris Mack seems like a very detail-oriented, on-schedule, routine guy. So I I think the fact that we're getting a normal season can't be overlooked 
um, from that perspective. I, I, I expect this team to just come in better prepared and in better shape going into the season, which like is not, you know, I'm not sprouting anything that, that someone doesn't know when you're coming off a COVID season where people can't work out. Of course, it's going to be choppy, but I, I just think Chris Mack is going to be a lot more comfortable in his element this summer um, and kind of know what he has going in, whereas last year it seemed like he was trying to do stuff on the fly, which might not particularly be his philosophy. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's fair. And I think that any program that struggled last year is probably going to try and, and make the same point and say yep. – you know, we're, we're a detail-oriented program. Not having that summer together is the reason why things were bad last year. I'm sure Kentucky's saying the exact same thing. Um, but it, you can't overstate the importance of it, especially when you do have so many different pieces, so many new pieces, so many guys who um, either aren't used to playing at this level or, uh, you know, just don't have familiarity with Louisville and what Mac wants to do. So it's, it, you know, you need those bonding sessions. You need that workout time. And yeah, obviously for guys like Malik Williams and, and Roosevelt Wheeler and some others, you need this time to, to fully get healthy. We, the other thing that we didn't get a chance to, and again, cannot apologize enough for how badly we've dropped the ball by not having a, a new episode in two weeks. Your boy, on the heels of the Dino Gaudio stuff, oh, less God, than 24 I... hours later, we find out, first of all, we find out that we're definitely living in a simulation and none of this matters because Quinn Slazinski, out of fucking left field, out of nowhere, just throws a bomb and is like, oh, yeah, by the way, while you guys are still talking about the Dino Gaudio FBI stuff, I'm going to go play for Rick Pitino at Iona. And, I mean, objectively hilarious. Like, what else can you do but laugh? And I'm happy for him. I'm sure Rick will get the most out of him, and he'll be, you know, uh, he'll be fun to watch when Iona's playing on a Friday night on ESPNU or hopefully making the NCAA tournament. But, man, like, kind of – just I, I don't I still don't really know how to react to it. Uh, your boy, Quinsonski, going to play for Ricky P. What was your general reaction? Uh, some of the transfers I I understood. Um, I, I don't know how much playing time there was going to be, and I didn't know if maybe they had the game to play at this level. Um, this one was tough for me because. Do I think Quinn like is a guy that could be starting and like getting twenty five minutes a game? No. Um, do like I kind of was last year, which is I know, which is like, exactly, <laughs> no, you're exactly right. I, I mean, for this upcoming year, like, yeah. uh, is he someone that could come in for eight to 12 minutes a game, um, and kind of do the little things and, you know, bring an attitude to the team that he just, I, I, I hate losing kind of the swag that he brought to this, uh, to our team. I, I felt like he was one of the only guys on the team last year that he just never seemed scared in any single game that he played. Um, I loved his attitude. He was willing to do anything for the team. Um, I'm sure that one hurt Chris a little bit, uh, you know, from like an attitude perspective of the team, but I'm, I'm happy for Quinn Slazinski. Uh, does it hurt that he went to Rick? I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll say this. I'm gonna really enjoy watching Iona play this year. I think it's gonna be fun. Um, I, I think Rick will really like to coach Quinn. I think that's a guy that'll fit well there. But yeah, it hurts to lose, no doubt. Quinn was my boy, so I'm gonna have to, uh, uh adapt a new, I guess, favorite player this year. I mean, it, it's gonna be tough to top JJ trainer for me, um, right now from the way things stand. But yeah, Quinn. I wish him nothing but success up at Iona. 
where you drove Josh Nickelberry to LaSalle. <laughs> you drove Quinn Slavinsky into the arms of our uh, ex-coach. So poor J.J. Trainer. I'm fully expecting 12 months from now to be talking about him going to DePaul, uh, which, which was a legitimate rumor this offseason when Kenny Payne was rumored for that job. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was – I'm happy for Quinn. I, I think that he saw the writing on the wall when, one, Sam decided that he was going to come back for sure, not going to transfer. Two, Mac brought in Matt Cross because – this is not inside scoop, but I'll say it. Chris Mack loves Matt Cross. Like, like this was his move. He wanted this guy. He – Loved what he saw from him when we played them. He loved what he saw from him on film. He thinks Matt Cross can be a, a very big piece for this program. You know, maybe not this upcoming season. I think he's going to play a role, but I think two, three years down the line, Mac thinks that Cross can be a, a big time contributor for us. So um, Quinn kind of saw that his playing time was going to be dwindling. I, I don't think he's ever going to have the opportunity that he had this past season. And that's the thing. As much as we all love Quinn, and his legacy is always going to be calling Isaiah Jackson a fuckboy and then getting him to charge in that UK game, he had ample opportunity to really carve a niche for himself this year. He started, I think, six games. He played more minutes than he probably should have been. He had a bunch of wide-open threes, and he just never found his shooting touch. He never he never contributed the way that he should have. And when that's the case, like, you know, you're not guaranteed playing time when you've got two other guys at your position that are pretty – highly touted so I think that's why you saw Quinn go ahead and make the move but you know we talked about the and I never used the term I'm glad I didn't the super six class I thought well that was just it uh, it was kind of silly that we did it all but now you've got three of those members have transferred to lower programs Aiden Nagayans at Grand Canyon uh, Josh Nickelberry at LaSalle now Quinn at Iona David Johnson's going to the pros we've only got two guys left Um, it, it just it was what it was. We we probably made too much of a deal of it because it was Chris Mack's first big class, but hopefully we uh, we at least get Sam to to lead the charge and have a great end of his career, and David will get drafted and have a good NBA career. But the legacy of the Super Six is probably going to be that they never should have been called the Super Six. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there, and uh, I mean, I, I still think uh, Jalen has a shot. To really, and not not that Sam doesn't, but I I think Jalen's ceiling is is probably higher than Sam's at this point. So uh, he has a shot to to kind of change the narrative there if if he really balls out, you know, either next year or if he stays another year after that. Um, but yeah, I mean, having three people already gone from that class, or excuse me, four. Um, obviously David Johnson going to the NBA, that's one thing, but the other three guys transferring. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point it is what it is right now. And, um, hopefully we have better luck with our classes here moving forward. All right. Let's talk about the, the news from Wednesday. And th- this happens a couple of times every summer where it seems like we're in the, the sports doldrums. You know, people are talking about LeBron Jordan for the 800th time on TV. They're talking about the NHL draft. There's a little bit of NBA playoff or NHL playoff discussion, but really people are desperate for big time storylines. And then like, bam, 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 five or six just bombshells get dropped. That's exactly what happened yesterday. Out of these 30 news stories, Brad Stevens stepping down as as head coach of the Celtics, even though he's only 44, I don't think he's done coaching, but he's done coaching in Boston, apparently. Um, Mike Krzyzewski announcing that this is going to be his last season and Bob Baffert getting banned from Churchill Downs for two <laughs> years after the Medina Spirit positive test was confirmed. Which of those three just absolute bombshells surprised you more on Wednesday? 
Um, I would say Coach K was the least surprising one. Not that, like, I thought it was going to happen, but I think everyone knew um, we're kind of probably getting close. Um, Gosh, I mean, the Bob Baffert one, I did not expect Churchill to take that stance. I mean, that's a pretty hard stance um, for two years. Uh, Do I love it? Yes, I do. Um, but I, I did not think that they were going to do that to, I guess you could say almost the face of horse racing. Um, and the Brad Steven one, uh, Brad Stevens one. Yeah. I mean, I listen to like NBA podcasts and you, I guess I don't watch as much NBA. I listen to NBA podcasts and I, I don't think he's been particularly enthusiastic on the sidelines all year. People thought he, he looked a little bit. Um, like he was getting a little bit worn down. So I would say out of the three, the Bob Baffin one shocked me the most. Um, but still the Brad Stevens one really caught me off guard as well. I don't watch as much NBA playoffs. I just listen to NBA podcasts. It's probably the most Gen Z thing that's ever been said on this podcast. Oh, 100%. So pro- I mean, the regular season, like, it, it, there's only, I mean, I just don't get as excited. Now, I've been watching the NBA playoffs and, Truthfully, they've been really fun to watch, but um, I, the off-court drama of the NBA to me almost surpasses the on-court um, showing that you get. No, I wasn't calling you out. I'm actually I'm applauding you for appealing to a, a younger audience here. We're trying to branch out the the, the key demographic of this podcast, and uh, that was that was well done. Good job. Um, oh yeah, thanks. Sh- shout out to the NBA podcast that Dan listens to. Um, w- what's your favorite right now? I mean, I'm a big Ryan Rossillo guy, so it's not <laughs> just all NBA, but I mean, that's kind of his go-to is is NBA. So um, I don't know. Good podcast if you haven't listened to it. Let's talk, let's talk about I'm Coach like K. plugging Ryan Rosillo. How did we get this? I'm plugging Ryan Rosillo right now. I'm sure he's like, thanks, Card Chronicle sidekick guy. Oh fuck. Um, let's talk about Coach K because out of those three stories, that's the most pertinent to our interest, and, and I think also was the one that that resonated the most nationally. It's the biggest story of the three, and it's because and. Call me out if, if you think that there's uh, that I'm missing something, but I feel like out of all the head coaches in all the major American sports, nobody is more synonymous with their team, franchise, program, whatever you want to call it, than Coach K is with Duke basketball. Can you think of anybody else that I'm, I'm just overlooking there? Well, I mean, before the whole Sandusky thing went down, I would I would argue that Joe Paterno and Penn State yeah. were up there, um, but you know, after that whole mess, I, I I think you're right. I think Coach K and Duke are, you know, that brand is synonymous with each other. I mean, he took over at Duke in 1980, and the program was was okay. They, they had made some strides recently before he took over, but they were not anything resembling a national powerhouse and, you know, hadn't won a national title. He takes them, turns them into the face of college basketball. He has his own goddamn video game in the 90s. Yeah, you know, they're winning titles right and left. Uh, he becomes almost as big as the sport itself. And everybody, when they think Coach K, they think Duke. And I don't know if there's like, – like when you think Nick Saban, you think Bama now. But it's not like Saban is the only guy that's had that level of success at Alabama. 
Um, Coach K, quite little. He, he is the only guy that's had this level of success at Duke, and he's been there since before either you or I were born. I mean, he's it's unreal the longevity that he's been able to have at one place like that. So him stepping down is a it's a massive sports story, and I know that everybody's taking shots at you know ESPN and saying how it's going to be insufferable to watch this year. But I mean, this is maybe the greatest college basketball coach in history taking his farewell tour with the biggest brand in the sport. It's understandably going to be a massive, massive story, but it's also going to get annoying. Like I think we can agree on that. Like the whole, like every single game, him getting a new gift at center court beforehand. But it also has the potential to be pretty hilarious. Like if they if they suck again this year and we're everybody's trying to hype it up, I don't want them to to suck like they did last year or suck like Kentucky did last year. I want them to be like eight nine seed good. So they have like an embarrassing, just medium loss. Like I, like my ideal situation for Coach K going out is to lose to an average LSU team coached by Will Wade. Quite literally like the biggest crook in the sport that everybody knows about. <laughs> taking out Coach K in like a 7-10 game where bo- everybody knows that neither team's going that much further in the tournament. Like that's that's the kind of season that I want Duke to have. I want them just to be incredibly average. I think that's... Kay, that's Kay's last game is just a blow-by handshake. Like, don't even stop to talk to the other coach. It's just a blow-by. Like, as much as this pains me, do you remember Denny Crum's last game in... Oh, it was UAB in the Conference USA Tournament. It was... It was, it was UAB in an, a, I believe, 8-9 game in the Conference USA Tournament. Uh, UAB was not good. They beat us pretty badly... And as he goes to get the mic to address the crowd one final time, the 12th seeded Tulane band starts playing and the Tulane green wave runs out on the court and he doesn't even get to talk. Like it was the least appropriate ending to a Hall of Fame career I've ever seen. I kind of want something like that to happen to Coach K and have the media just fall over themselves trying to defend it or trying to to make it more dramatic than it was. Like, yeah, Jim Nance singing his praises as – the clocks, the seconds tick off the clock in a 75 to 41 loss to LSU is kind of my dream scenario there. But uh, they're going to be okay this year. I think that they should be better than they were a season ago. But the the secondary story in all this is the fact that they've already named who their next head coach is going to be. And while Coach K took over before you or I were born, the guy who's taking over for him is younger than both of us. John Shire's 33. He's never been a head coach. He's his only real coaching experience is as an assistant at Duke. It just it, it kind of blows my mind that we're going from Roy versus K to Hubert Davis versus John Shire. Am I crazy in thinking that this is all super weird? Not at all. It, it seems like the last like fifteen years, like Duke has run assistants in and out, and I feel like those assistants have probably thought, okay, we're probably getting close here to the retirement. I hope I'm in the chair here at the right time for when it does happen that I'm the guy that takes over. Um, and it seems like the musical stair, musical chairs kind of stopped and John Shire was just happened to be the guy sitting in the seat next to Coach K and he's going to be the one that takes over. Um, so obviously, I mean, if you're, you're talking about, well, I mean, this has got to be one of the hardest jobs that you'll ever see is taking over for Coach K at Duke. Um, so am I, you know, good for John Shire. That's an amazing job to land, but, uh, the, the pressure on this kid is going to be unbelievable. But, um, 
I mean, back to Coach K. I, you know, I, I like the the cool thing to do nowadays. And I mean, and he's getting older. Is is to kind of poke fun and make fun. Like, I mean, yes, does he attack student reporters? Yes, does he, you know, go after his fan base for chance? Yes, I mean, all that we know. But I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest coaches ever stepping down. So I mean, this is just absolutely huge news. You know, a, a guy that was able to adapt um, and have 24 years between national titles. That is just a mind-blowing number to me. Um, and I don't know. I, 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 I feel like a, a piece of college basketball is leaving. I mean, love or hate the guy, you know, when you think of college basketball, Coach K is one of the first guys you think of. So in that aspect, it's, it's pretty sad. Um, you know, do, is it easy to hate Duke? Yes, but there's a part of me that does not want the Duke brand to die because I think it makes college basketball a little bit better. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. But, uh, yeah, the farewell tour, obviously, I mean, ESPN knows how to just fucking over-pump stuff to the max. So I'm sure by the end of it we'll be ready. But, um, you know, if if I get a chance to go see him at, at the Yum Center, um, I'll, I'll 100% give him a standing ovation. He deserves it. See, the amount of coverage isn't going to bother me as much as the type of coverage. That's what's going to bother me here is because everybody's going to treat this as, you know, Mother Teresa leaving the church. When in reality, people talk about Louisville being scandal you, and I get that we have brought a lot of these bad headlines on ourselves. But if we're talking about the actual quote-unquote scandals, it's really just – it's a you can count them on one hand. It's the – if you want to say the Patino Cypher thing, which I don't think should count uh, with the basketball program, but if you want to throw it on there, cool. Like, Coach had an extramarital affair. It, the details are hilariously embarrassing, but it, it shouldn't really be – it shouldn't be projected onto the men's basketball program. At least it, it shouldn't be now that he's been gone for uh, four years, five years, whatever it's been. Uh, two, the stripper stuff, 100%. We, we wear that. We deserve it. It's bad. No debating that. The Brian Bowen stuff, you know, the, the more the details come out, the more it's like, you know, federal court found us as a victim. Like, I, I think that we certainly bear some of the brunt of that. But, you know, there's that. And then besides that, like, I don't think you can say the Dino Gaudio stuff is really a, a gigantic scandal. Like, whatever. But if you want to do that, okay, that's four. With Duke, you've got – you had the Myron Piggy stuff with – him cheating to bring William Avery and other guys into the program. We know that happened in the late 90s. We know for a fact that Marvin Bagley's family went from being on welfare to buying a $750,000 house in the span of two years. We know that his AAU team was funded by Nike money, and he was given an exorbitant amount of money to do that. We know from the depositions in the the latest Bowen Adidas case, Zion Williamson was paid, and Duke was a part of that. Like Duke has not been short on scandals during this time, and people act like, Coach K is this just beacon of cleanliness in this dirty, otherwise just horribly dirty sport, and it, it's absolutely not true. And that's the way that he's going to be treated, and that's what's going to bother me is that there won't even be a mention of any of the stuff that everybody knows has been going on in, in Durham, and it's not just them. It's everybody, but he's a part of it too. Like, like he's got shit on him as well, and it's never going to be mentioned. But So you're telling me you're not going to give him a standing ovation is what you're telling me? Uh, probably not. Uh, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I, here's the deal. I mean, I, I, how do I describe this? I mean, 
college basketball, I mean, yes, some of this happened back in the day, like you mentioned. Um, but I mean, college basketball is different now. And like, we have those black marks as a university. And part of it is just because we weren't able to control the narrative. We let the narrative control us. Duke, for whatever they did behind the scenes, as far as communication, they've kept their university looking in a good light. And we haven't. And we have to wear that. So, um, you know, I, I know this stuff goes on not just at Louisville or, or Duke. It goes on pretty much everywhere. Um, and, and, you know, we're the ones that are kind of waving the flag or are the face of it right now because, you know, unfortunately we were the ones caught or we weren't, we were the ones not controlling the, the narrative. So, you know, I, I'm not going to hold too much against Coach K for that. Um, you know, I, I think what he did for the sport kind of outweighs kind of the the black marks that he might have on his resume. No, I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying it deserves to be at least some part of the narrative. When in yep. reality, no, I agree. It's like what's the picture that's going to be painted is, hey, this this beacon of light from the old guard is stepping away, and now college basketball is wandering into these choppy uncharted waters where kids are going to get paid and. Kids are transferring everywhere, and we've seen the seedy underbelly of recruiting and all this stuff, and AAU, and man, if we only had guys like Coach K still around, when the reality is, like, he's been as much of a part of this as anybody else, or at least has been a part of it, and I, like, that's what's going to bother me. I, I totally, I'm with you on, he's definitely given more to the game than he's taken away. He deserves to be, I mean, he might be the greatest college basketball coach of all time. There's no question about it. His brand has become huge. I'm going to miss Duke and Coach K, but I just wish that the I, I, I'm just already annoyed by the the narrative of pristineness that's going to to dominate the landscape of the way he's talked about for the next nine months, and that's that's kind of what bothers me here. Um, but uh, r- real quick, going, like this feels like an interesting time for the ACC, where I don't know how Hubert Davis is going to do at North Carolina. I've got no idea how John Shire's going to do at Duke, but the, the the two faces that have dominated this conference for so long are stepping away. It's going to be an interesting era. I feel like Jim Boeheim's got a solid like 18 years left. Like he's ne- he's never leaving. Like everybody's like like Syracuse people are like, you see this man? Like giving him a little bit of a nudge, and Boeheim's like, I'm not going fucking anywhere. I'm we'll be, we'll be playing zone until 2050, uh, and I'm not I'm not walking away from this bench. But like, are we entering into the the Josh Pastner era of ACC basketball is what I'm asking. Oh, obviously, yes. I mean, you want to talk about the face of coaching the ACC. But, I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, I think these next couple of years are, are going to be important times to the ACC because, uh, I, I mean, to me, uh, I've always – the ACC has been the premier college basketball conference. And, and you're – losing two of your cornerstones that have been there for for obviously a long time and had a lot of success and um you know if, I know we have Tony Bennett he recently has a national championship um but there's a lot of question marks when you go down those coaching uh go down those head coaches listed for the ACC so um it'll be interesting these next couple of years i mean you don't want to fall into a a pattern where you know uh I don't, I don't know. You don't want to fall into a pattern where you go a, a very long streak without having a, a national champion. Um, but 
like I said, I, I don't really know what to expect. I, I know I'm just, you know, kind of talking here, but there's just so many question marks. Um, I, we, we're just going to have to wait it out and see how some of these guys do. What if Jeff Capel just quit today? He's like, the only reason I took this fucking job was because I wanted the Duke job in a few years. Like, I could have just sat on that bench and been totally happy. This is bullshit. Like, Capel's done. Chris Collins just steps away at Northwestern. Like, all these guys that have been talked about as the potential Coach K successor now are like, what, what, what am I even doing? It is it, – I mean, this has been a story that's been talked about for, like, the last 15 to 20 years. I know it has been the last 10 because every offseason, my editors at SB Nation were like, let's do a – Who's going to take over for Coach K talk? Like, let's, let's, is it Mike Bray? Is it, is it Wojo? Who's it going to be? Is it Tommy Amaker? And in the end, it's a guy who nobody was even talking about 10 years ago because he was 23 years old. It's just, it, it blows. I'm shocked that it's, it's John Shire, at least. You know what, it, you know what it kind of reminds me of and how I think it might work out is when Matt Doherty took over for Dean Smith. Um, it has a lot of those vibes for sure. It, like, it's just like, man, I, I don't know. Maybe they, they could have done it a little better here. Um, but that's what it feels like to me. And obviously that didn't work out, but I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to shit on John Shire. I, I have no idea what sort of philosophies he brings or recruiting prowess that he has, but, um, it, it just seems like they wanted to keep it in the Duke family. Um, and obviously Coach K thinks that he earned a shot. If Shire just sucks out, I, I, I'm excited to see how quickly Duke abandons the whole brotherhood thing. Cause Coach K's coaching tree, not that great. Like, like a lot of these guys just haven't been as successful as you would have expected. And I feel like if Shire just bombs, if, if they're terrible for two years and they get rid of him, they're probably going to be like, all right, fuck that. Chris Beard, come on. Or, or like, yeah, you know, Jay like, Wright. come on. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like, whoever we can get. You could have never set foot in the state of North Carolina. We don't care. Come coach our basketball program. Make us good again. And honestly, Carolina will probably do the same thing if, uh, if Hubert Davis sucks. Although they, I feel like they've got more options than Duke does. Um, let's see. Uh, the, the other thing that we need to mention real quickly. The 2020-2021 Louisville athletic season has officially come to a close. Uh, Louisville baseball tanked down the stretch, got left out of the NCAA tournament. It was a – I know that some of the secondary sports had really good years. Swimming was great. Field hockey made a Final Four. Uh, women's basketball lived up to expectations. Not that they're we're, secondary. we're a golf school now. Nice. Uh, nice men's golf. Men's golf. Shout out to Ryan Blagg. Uh, First-year head coach. Takes them to the best finish in program history. But if we're talking about the three of the the spotlight sports, football, men's basketball, and baseball, they all missed the postseason in the same year for the first time since 1997-1998. When you think about that athletic season, Dan, what do you remember from 97-98? Do you remember anything? (laughs) Um, Cameron Murray. That's about it. (laughs) Exactly. I remember two things. I remember – Ron Cooper will rise again after he got fired in his, his famous uh, press conference. <laughs> and I remember uh, Louisville beating That sounded like Kentucky. a Michael Scott quote, sorry. Ron Cooper will rise again. That's it. Oh, yeah, it was the funniest fucking thing of all time. He did not rise again. He was a SEC assistant that was, I guess, pretty good in the years yeah, after. Yeah, South Carolina, like, DB coach. I think he was there for a while. See, he made it. He rose. Um, but Louisville basketball, in the midst of – Maybe the worst season of our lifetime beat Kentucky when Kentucky went on to win the national title and UK 
best in the country, second best in the state was always the the uh, argument line that I just refused to let go of on the playground at Holy Trinity back in those days. But those were not good times for the athletic program. Hopefully, we're not entering a, a similar period of just sustained mediocrity in those sports. But it is a little bit jarring to see that stat, that it's been that long that all three of those teams um, missed the postseason. And it's not like we weren't without expectations. You know, football was, what, preseason number three in the ACC. Uh, baseball was top five heading into the season. Uh, basketball, a little bit lower expectations, but they spent a lot of the season ranked. It was just just a overall craptastic year uh, of Cardinal sports, at least at the highest level. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's going to be a year to forget. Um with with the performance with the covid restrictions with the lack of fans um it, it's one that you can just put a big x through um i don't know i mean do you think that i mean how much of this do you pin on on vince um how much do you think it's it's you know not really his i mean it's got to be somewhat his responsibility but do you think this is like a big year for him or do you think like you know, hey, he's he's trying to get us out of kind of these messes, and he's kind of held, I guess, the the athletics. I guess you could say steady for the past couple of years. So we need to give him a longer leash. Um, but I, I feel like he's got to take you know some brunt of the responsibility here. Yeah, I think this is a big year for everybody. I think this is a huge year for everybody. Baseball, not so much. I mean, I think Dan McDonald has earned. Yeah, he he gets a pass. That's fun. It, this was the second time since he took over in 07 that the teams missed the NCAA tournament. And, you know, again, like, I think he gets to use the COVID excuse more than a lot of people. It also, part of his discussion has to include the fact that last year's team was set, setting, like, on course to be maybe the best in program history. They were uh, preseason number one in a lot of polls. I think they were number two when the season shut down. And the fact that he didn't, and, you know, he lost Reed Demers to the draft. He lost Bobby Miller to the draft. He lost a lot of those guys that made that team so great. And we never got a chance to see what they, what that team could have done. So that's part of his discussion. I think with, with Vince and even Satterfield and Mac, I think everybody understands what they walked into. Everybody understands what's going on with basketball and still going on with basketball. But it's been, I mean, it, this is going on year five since the scandals happened, uh, year four with Chris Mack at the helm, year three for Satterfield. Like, expectations are going to rise. You've got to – you don't have to win a national title, but you've got to give us some tangible piece of evidence that things are going to be really good again uh, at some point down the line. And having a good year where you overachieve, where you exceed expectations, I think would go a long way towards convincing the fan base of that. So, yeah, it's. I mean, this is – this is a massive, massive season, really across the board, for Cardinal athletics. Yeah, um, you don't you don't want the the fan base. Um, I mean, I don't want to say lose interest, but you don't want them to feel like things are okay with mediocrity because I I I think this program or this athletic department has shown that they're above that and they can compete for national championships. Um, and they should be competing for national championships. So if you kind of fall into this pattern, like, oh, well, he made the tournament or, you know, we, we played in, you know, a bowl game at, at six and six. Um, you know, I, I, I just think, like you said, there needs to be some sort of 
you know, see the light moment that, hey, there's big things coming from, you know, one, two or three of these programs here um, or else there might need to be some changes made. This is the way I'll, I'll put it. Like right now, and I assume that no big fans of this program are listening, so I don't, don't mind disparaging them. <laughs> like right now, it's okay to be NC State where – you're like, hey man, eight and four in football would be great. Like nine and three would be awesome. Like that, that feels like the, the ceiling for this team. Basketball, God, if we made a Sweet Sixteen, like that would be incredible. It's fine to be NC State right now because of the way the football program imploded, because of what's going on with basketball and what's still to come with basketball. But you don't like, like we can't be NC State eight years from now. Like, right. like I want to. Everybody wants to get back to dreaming the biggest of dreams when it comes to football. We want to be trying to win conference championships. We want to be in the playoff discussion at least once every few years. We want, and with men's basketball, we've never, you know, we've never settled for anything less than wanting to be in the national title discussion or feeling like we have a shot at making a run at the Final Four. Like that needs, we need to get, when all said and done, when everything gets settled and we get over whatever this next round of NCAA punishments, whatever that winds up being. We need to be in a position where we're back to where we've usually been. And, like, having a successful year this year, which should not be affected by any of the IARP stuff, I think would go a long way towards convincing the fan base that three, four seasons from now, when Chris Mack you know, is out from underneath this cloud, or at least on the verge of being underneath from out, uh, underneath this cloud, he can be the type of coach or have the type of success that Denny Crum had, that Rick Pitino had, that Peck Hickman had back in the day. Like he needs, he needs to convince the fan base of that, and and this season probably is going to be his biggest opportunity to do so. So I think that's where we are right now. But right now, there certainly is a level of apathy amongst a large chunk of the fan base that is, I think, really discouraging. And the only way to rectify that, win games. And yeah, just start win. With, beating Ole Miss Labor Day night would go a long way, I think, towards accomplishing that. All right. Uh, a couple of quick questions left over from last time, and then we'll go on and get out of here. Um, Kate says, I know it's early, but best guess on starting five for men's basketball. Um, I'll go – I think LLS is going to be your starting point guard. I think Noah Locke will be your starting two. And then Sam Williamson, Jalen Withers, Malik Williams, if he's healthy. Um, any Any – Disagreement there? Uh, I mean, the two question marks that are the two guys that could work their way in, you know, maybe he wants to go with Jared West um, for maybe a little bit more, you know, stability, a guy that has played college basketball at a high level already um, at the point guard instead of L Ellis. I, I hope it, I hope it is L Ellis. Um because from what it sounds like, he's probably going to have a little bit of a higher ceiling. But again, I'm just guessing. I've never seen, you know, him play um, in person. And then, I'm I, like I said, I'm still excited for JJ. I think he's going to have a big off season, but uh, he would have to do an awful, awful lot to uh, supplant Jalen at the four. I think. Um, so I, I'd say right now you're correct, but those would be the two guys I could possibly see working their way in. Jason says, any chance you're back on radio soon? I won't read the rest of it. Um, yeah, never say never. I'll say that. Never say never. We'll see what happens. Uh, but once again, somebody has to <laughs> – I love when everybody is like, hey, man, when are you getting back on radio? As if I can just decide myself. Not really in my hands, but, hey, we'll see. Um, uh, let's see. Christian says, 
I don't care what happened last year. This is Louisville football. Six and six, seven and five isn't good enough for a new head coach in year three. I, I mean, I can't really argue with that. Um, yeah, I get but, it. I mean, I, I, I get it based on where we've been for the last 20 years. Like year three, the first time under Petrino was, you know, we had, I think we were preseason top 10. That was when we made the move to the Big East and we ended up, uh, Hunter Cantwell played in the Gator Bowl. Like that team was pretty good. And then year four, we won the Orange Bowl. Uh, year three under Strong won the Sugar Bowl. Uh, year three, second round of Petrino. Lamar won the Heisman. We were in the national title discussion, all that good stuff. And then year three with Cragthorpe on the other side of things was like, we knew he was gone pretty much. Like, like right. we knew it was the beginning of the end. This is, this is new for all of us. And I still think that if, if you flip Satterfield's first two years, everything would be so different. If, if that team had won four games in year one, we would have said, well, you know, that's about what we thought. If they'd gone won eight games last year, we'd be like, my God, like what a great season. Let's take that next step. Let's win nine or 10 games this year. And because those two seasons were inverted, like we have no idea what to think. And, and I get that standpoint that, uh, that Christian has, but seven and five for me, after what we saw last year, that would be enough for me to be like, okay, I'm not going to be over the moon, but I'd be content and, and kind of excited about the future. <laughs> it's so funny because, like, the fan base has been, including me, has been so wrong predicting Satterfield's first two years. I mean, year one, I was like, let's complete a pass. <laughs> like, and then, like, the next year, I was like, whoa, like, look, I'm like, we could make our way into the Orange Bowl if things fall right, like, before the season. Yeah. Um, and, and just completely wrong about both. And so, I mean, this year, I, I honestly don't know what to expect. Like, I think around six and six and seven, five, that's somewhere kind of in that, that middle range there is what I, I guess if you put a gun to my head, that's what's, what is what I would predict. But I don't know. I mean, like you said, I mean, God, this, this game one is a very big opportunity. Not just for our football program, but just give this fan base a jolt of life. You know, would a win be incredible? Like, absolutely. But, man, just, like, go out there and compete and, you know, put up, like, a a well-played game. Um, And hopefully, you know, the fans kind of see, like, okay, maybe we got something this year and, and start to pack the house whenever we come home. It's so true, though. I mean, like, going into 2019... We were all like, these guys actually like playing football. <laughs> That's enough. Like, I don't care what they do. They're smiling. They're happy. They want to tackle. Like, that's good. And then last year, we're like, are we going to beat Clemson? Like, <laughs> are we going to win this conference? Are we going to play Notre Dame for the conference championship? And now it's like, now we're back to being in the middle. Like, every prediction you've seen and that you're going to see is going to be like five and seven, six and six, seven and five. Which leads me to believe that we're either going like twelve and zero or like two and ten. <laughs> like yeah. I, I feel like something surprising is going to happen, but uh, I mean I'm sure I'll end up predicting six and six or seven and five as well. Uh, let's see here. Uh, summer TV suggestions. It's officially the off season. I need something else to watch. What have you guys been watching? Uh, I know we both just watched Mayor of Easttown, which was really good. Oh yeah, Mayor. <laughs> I don't know why. I just like that name cracks me up, but. Um, yeah, I, I give the, the, the show, uh, I'll say an A minus. Um, it was, uh, kind of like a mystery show, but, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I must be getting old. We've kind of texted about this. I can't believe I'm admitting this, like, on the uh, pod. But I've been watching a lot of, like, war documentaries. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I hated social studies and histories growing up and, like, learned, like, nothing. And now I'm, like, watching these and I'm like, man, like, I didn't know this happened, but... Remember um, when the tournament got canceled and we talked about how like we were gonna it was like the time we were gonna become war dads. We're like every oh, dad has, We somehow we we manifested that. Like we talked we spoke that into existence because now you're actually watching like World War Two in color. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. That's what I am watching and uh <laughs> I literally am like, this is what everyone talks about when they say you're turning into your father because like, I used to come in and my dad would just have the History Channel on. I'd be like, my God, like, if I ever turn into this, just take me out back. But uh, here we are. So uh, welcome to the summer of 35. I watched, uh, yeah, I watched Ken Burns' Vietnam a couple of years ago. Fantastic. It's, it's terrific. Like, it's, uh, I, I don't begrudge you at all for getting into the war docs. But, yeah, here we are. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Connor says, I listen to the pod. I feel like everybody I know listens to the pod. What are the pod numbers? Do you even know? Uh, yeah, we, we know the pod numbers. And look, they're obviously it kind of ebbs and flows, but uh, we're pretty consistently in the off season around like the three to 4,000 download range. Um, football, it goes up a little bit more like four to six. Basketball uh, is always, I feel like around here higher. We had some uh, episodes this past year that, that uh, were, you know, double digit thousands, 10,000 downloads was the, I think the mark for the, UK emergency post game. The Duke one a couple of years ago was like thirteen thousand. So, but pretty consistently around in basketball season around six to eight thousand. So that's um, are they are they higher than Ryan Rosillo's numbers? That's all I care about. Well, yeah, I'm sure he's listening <laughs> afterwards, and I'm sure he'll let us know. But for a uh, for a team specific college sports podcast, our download numbers are uh, pretty incredible, which blows my mind that you and I can get on here. With literally no prep, just text each other, do you want to do this, talk for an hour, and that that many people will, will tune in. So it's kind Wait of- Wait till we get like an intro video and put it on YouTube. It's gonna go up to at least like, <laughs> you know, 6,000. We do have some cool plans. We do have, I think, some new things that we're going to do that I think could wind up being fun. We just, every time we've tried to get that momentum going, you know, bam, global pandemic. Bam, Google's not in the NCAA tournament. Bam, Dino Gaudio's being investigated by the FBI. So not that that last one had really anything to do with the podcast, but still, you get what I'm saying. Just uh, just bad timing. Um, do you have a Dan of the Dump story for this week? Oh, yeah, I'll go ahead and tell this one, even though it's pretty embarrassing and I didn't want to. Um, yes. But I, I mean, like, it's – so, like, I, I didn't know where it came from. So, like, about – a couple weeks ago, I, I had a work trip to Indianapolis, stayed in a hotel. I went golfing during the day, um, stayed in the hotel, normal normal thing, got back. And I told my wife, I was like, I like, I was starting to get like these bumps on like, like the side of my, like right underneath my rib cage. And I was like, are these like, what is this? I, and like, she's like, I have no idea what that is. Um, you know, I... I was, she was like, where did you go? I was like, I mean, I was in like some, some, like some trees cause I was looking for golf balls. I'm like, I, I'm like, do you think it's like bed bug bites? Like I'm freaking the, I'm like freaking the fuck out. I'm like, what the hell is this? Um, so I, I was like, well, maybe it'll go away. Well, it didn't go away after like, you know, three or four days and it was actually like starting to hurt. So I, I went 
to the Minute Clinic, and they fucking told me I had shingles. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? So I was like, how the hell? And apparently, after talking to a buddy, it, like, it might have been more common, like, after getting, like, the second vaccine shot. Um, but it was bad timing because I was going to the beach, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to, like, be like one of those weirdos that wears a shirt like in the water uh, like i'm definitely not taking my shirt off but anyways um the the, the funny part about it is like i i had told my mom and she's like oh my god like you're 35 i was like well i don't yeah like i don't know what happened so like anyways there was like at one point i was like facetiming her and, like, she was at Costco. She was, like, talking to me about, I don't know, we were like, going to get together. And, like, she had to know, like, what to get there. And then, like, I don't know. I mean, like, my mom is not a quiet person. She's like, how's your shingle? <laughs> I was like, Mom, Jesus Christ. Like, you're in the middle of Costco. Like, quiet the fuck down. Like, oh, God, I don't know. But all is well now. I'm, a, I'm back to being a normal human being. It was a very embarrassing couple weeks. Um... But yeah, I mean, I, I am glad it wasn't bed bug bites because that would have freaked me the fuck out. Um, it would have been a disaster, like bringing luggage home from that. But um, yep, that was my diagnosis. Embarrassed, but we we have moved on. I mean, we're missing tournaments. We've got pandemics. We've got head coaches getting, or assistant coaches getting investigated by the FBI. We've got shingles. This, I mean, this podcast is just bringing down everything. Like we yeah. just. We need something good to happen. I guess it's like we say, I say that perfect uh, segue into me announcing on the podcast that we're having another kid, which I, I know. Oh, I've made, yeah. Oh, I know, yeah. I know I've made public on social media. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you've heard it or, or read it somewhere, but I have not said it on the podcast. We are uh, expecting a little baby boy, Rutherford. Uh, due date is Halloween. Very excited about that. So hopefully this kid comes into the world and totally turns the tide of, of Louisville athletics and, uh, we can start the good times again. Right? I, I am very excited to see Virginia's reaction to this baby. Um, I, I'm sure she's going to love it, but I'm excited for when maybe the baby starts getting some attention to see how Virginia is going to react. It's going to be bad. I mean, there's no <laughs> way not. Like she is, she's very used to getting all the attention. It's going to be an adjustment period. It's going to be bad. I'm fully, I'm preparing myself already. I'm enjoying these last few months. I'm treating it like it's a vacation because I know it's about to get uh, insane. Um, I should, I, I need to, I meant to bring this up at, near the beginning of the podcast, and I guess I only did in passing, but I went to the Indy 500 last weekend. Oh, yeah. How was that? It was awesome. I, I mean, I, I didn't really know what to expect. Shout out to Mark Cool, uh, financial advisor to the stars, uh, hooked it up there. He goes every year, so he was a veteran. I went with a, a group of guys. We drove up, had sober drivers in this gigantic van to and from. Um, and I, I won't talk long about this because I know we're, we've already rambled enough, but did you know? Because I had no idea that you can just bring whatever outside food and drink you want into the track at the Indy 500. I feel, I mean, my brother has gone, uh, Colin, I think has gone like three or four times. So I, I was aware of it. I mean, he, you know, his thing, he was just like, dude, it's awesome. But I mean, he's like, however loud you think it is, it's louder. Like it is just ridiculously loud when you're there. He's like, but it, it's a great time. It's definitely loud. If you did, like, I was told you need to have earplugs, broad earplugs. It definitely is manageable if you do it that way. But when I did take them out a couple of times, I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, but I mean, I had, until I got the email last week, kind of about what to expect, I had zero idea you could just 
you could bring 50 beers in, into a cooler uh, and just walk right in with it. This guy was like, can you unzip that real quick? I don't, didn't take one look inside my cooler and was like, You're good. <laughs> I'm like, this is incredible. Like, this is, this is madness. I was talking with, um, uh, Indiana native, friend of the podcast, Mark Titus, who, um, if you wanted to hear my extended thoughts on Dino Gaudio, you can go back and listen to their podcast uh, from a couple of weeks ago, Titus and Tate. But he's an Indiana native. He's obsessed with the 500. He goes every year. He always argues with me about how it's better than Derby and was very curious to hear my thoughts. And he was telling me how sort of the opposite thing happened. The first time he went to Derby a couple of years ago, he just walked in with like a cooler full of beer. Like, and I got on this game, they were like, you can't bring it in. And he was like, what the fuck? Uh, but I had no idea that you just couldn't walk in with a case of beer to Churchill Downs, but uh, that's the case. But Indy 500 was awesome. We had seats like right at the finish line. Got to see Elio Castro Neves climb up the, do the Spider-Man thing. The crowd was chanting his name. A very cool first race to go to. Would definitely do it again. Uh, checked it off the uh, the sports bucket list, so that was a, a cool thing. Do you have, like, would you, because you've never been, would you have any interest in going down the line? Um, I don't know. That's just not really my jam. Um, I, I mean, like, yeah, maybe go once. I mean, you had like an unbelievable setup. Um, like you were right, like you said, you're right at the finish line. So but that would be hard to turn down. Um, and I, I do like a good, you know, party atmosphere. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, there's, there's just some sports I kind of draw the line at. Um, I, I just can't see myself getting like overhyped to do that. Like, if you're like, oh, would you rather go to that or go to, like, a, you know, like a U.S. Open, you know, semifinal for tennis, I would 100% go to Flushing Meadows and go to yeah. a U.S. Open. No, I'm with you there. And it was, it was totally different because I, I watched IndyCar a little bit growing up because my dad was really into it, but I definitely would not consider myself, like, a diehard fan or anything like that. And you're so, I guess, conditioned – by being like a horse racing fan who goes to the Derby or watches the Derby every year. Like there's all this buildup. The, the one thing that I'll say about the Indy 500 is their pre-race activities are better than any like pre-sporting event activities. Like they bring out all the, like all these former champs and they ride around in cars. They have marching bands. They have cool, uh, like celebrities come out and do stuff. Like it's, it's a lot of fun for like an hour and a half before the actual race starts. But then the race starts and you know people are going nuts and the cars fire up and they take off. And it's kind of like the Derby if the the horses just kept running because then like they go around <laughs> the first time and you're like every like yeah woo and then it just keeps happening and you're like okay like <laughs> like I'm settled in now people like sit down and just kind of start chilling and you're like oh all right we got three hours of this like, let's figure out what we're gonna do but awesome experience I, I definitely would do it again highly recommend it if you haven't done it just because even if you don't care about the race you can get super super drunk. And it's not going to cost you $10 a beer. So that's uh, that's always a good thing. Uh, remember to please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so. Uh, rate and review us as well. It always helps us. One new review here for this week, and it is from 2006 Lou Groza Award winner Art Carmody. Yeah. He titles this comment at the bar with Mike and Dan, and then he says, this is the best podcast in the world. I don't live in Louisville, but if I did, I would constantly invite Mike and Dan to a bar to talk sports. This podcast allows me to do that from afar in Louisiana, even if it means I am drinking by myself with AirPods in. Uh, people of Louisiana, please go drink with Art Carmody. He's a great guy. He's a good drinking partner. Don't make him listen to podcasts alone when he's doing this. Uh, I, I think I am looking forward to a football tailgate this year almost more than anything because I, I, I'm hoping that um, we can spend some, some quality time with Art there and 
throw back some beers. But, I mean, tailgates in general, I mean, gosh, how much yeah. have we missed that? It's just the, the first one is just going to be phenomenal. First three games of this season, all night games. I'm excited. Love it. Love it. That's great. Very excited about it. Ole Miss, I think EKU, and then Central Florida. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, how about this for a lot of fun, too? I mean, I was so embarrassed that we took two weeks off from the podcast. We got another one coming tomorrow. We're going to have uh, Keith Wynn's going to talk football. He had, a, a, I think, a really cool post on Card Chronicle breaking down some of the incoming transfers uh, with video, what they bring to the table. He's going to talk about those guys. He's going to talk about the coaching changes and hopefully get us a little bit more excited for the upcoming fall camp and the football season as well. So new pod coming tomorrow. Again, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for reviewing. Thanks so much for subscribing. Thanks so much for everything. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. Until then, go Cards. Go Cards.